talking about the power of Jesus' resurrection this morning. We turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, where Paul speaks from his own experience and expresses his own heart as he thinks about Christ and who He is and what He has done. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, Hear then the Word of God. Whatever was gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, who is my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and my share in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather this resurrection morning to lift our eyes and to lift our hearts and to see a risen Christ who lives and reigns in power and who is able to give us life and to bring life to our mortal bodies, to give life to to us in our daily experience, but also in the ages to come. Our hope is fixed in You. I pray this morning that You would speak and make clear what it means to know Christ and to know the power of His resurrection for ourselves. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Paul's cry. It resonates with so many folks through the ages and So many folks as we read the scriptures to hear Paul cry out, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of His resurrection. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a man from the dead. It touches on all of our hopes. It touches on all of our fears. Because our desire is to live. Our desire is for death to not be the end. Our desire is for death to not have the victory. Our desire is for permanence. Our desire is for continuance. You know, I get a funny feeling when I think about, I don't know if you knew that much, but I think about my own death. You know, there's that twinge in your soul. There's something funny about thinking about the end. There's something at the core of our being that rebels. There's something about us that wants to live. There's something about us that wants to continue. And it is unacceptable. It is intolerable as we contemplate what death has come to mean for so many. So if there was a man, if there was a man who had conquered death, who had met this enemy face to face and somehow had conquered death, defeated the grave, rose to a life that is eternal and continuing, would you not want To know Him. To know Him and the power of His resurrection. This is what Paul longs for at the core of this. I want to know Christ. I want to know this power. I want to know this life. But what does it mean, as Paul talks about it, to know 
Christ and to know the power of his resurrection. Well, I would start by stating the obvious. The first thing that we need to understand about it, we've said it many times already this morning, that when we say Jesus is risen, we're saying that Jesus is alive, that he's still alive, that he lives and that he reigns. He's as alive today as he was 2,000 years ago. The resurrection means that he conquered death that he rose to a new life, that he rose to a new life on the other side of death, never to die again. He didn't rise back into our mortal existence to face death again. He rose on the other side of death to a life that never ends. To eternal life. There in your bulletin under the second point, knowing Christ, there's Revelation chapter 1. It says this, Jesus says this, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death and hell. He has power over death. He has these keys over death and Hades, this one who has died and behold, he's alive forevermore and he he has the power over life and death. Colossians 1, right there after Revelation in your bulletin, it says, He, that is Jesus, is the beginning. He's the firstborn from among the dead. That in everything He might have the preeminence. In everything He might be preeminent. Jesus is the first one, it says. Behold, He's the beginning. He's the beginning of hope. He's the beginning of something new. He's the first one to rise on the other side of the grave to a life that never ends. His physical body is transformed into an eternal body. And with him comes the possibility for this kind of thing for everyone else. This idea of eternal life. This life that will persist beyond the grave. This one he holds the keys to death and Hades. It's no wonder that Paul wants to know him. It's no wonder that Paul would want to know him, to know the power of his resurrection, this one who holds the keys of life and death itself. Jesus is alive, and he's somewhere. Right? The Bible tells us he, he rose, and that he rose, and he returned to the place from whence he had come that the Father had sent Him, that God the Son took on a body, that He became a man to, to accomplish this very thing. And the One who was sent and who said it is finished and accomplished what He came to do. It says that He rose again to the place from where He came, to the glory that He had with the Father. And that there He lives and reigns in the presence of God. It's there in your bolt in Ephesians chapter 1. 19 to 21, it says this, working of His great power that is the power of God, the power of the Father, the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, for an eternal life, an enduring life, an unending life. He he reigns at the right hand of the Father. In power and authority. In other words, 
Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is King. Paul talks about knowing Him. Do you not want to know this Christ? This King Jesus who reigns at the Father's right hand, holding the keys of death and hell. Do you not want to know Him? And the power of His resurrection, Paul talks about it as if it's a very real possibility. In verse 8 he says, Indeed, I'm counting everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All right, he calls Him my Lord. He's, he's my King. He's my Savior. He's my risen one. And I, and, I, and I want to forsake, he says, all things that I might know Him. Because Jesus Christ is a living person. He's raised and He's glorified. Yes. But He's still a genuinely knowable person. He's still a person. More of a person perhaps than you or I. He is a person after whom all personhood takes its meaning and its value. That as we are knowable to each other, how much more is He knowable according to the scripture, someone with whom it is possible to have a genuine relationship. Yes, it'll be different than other people. He lives and reigns in a place that I can't visit. And indeed, we can't see him and we can't wrap our arms around him right now. But the Bible calls us to a relationship with him from the depths of our own souls through faith and through the scripture and through a conversation, that unceasing prayer that we just prayed about that God would teach us to enter into this relationship. We just had it read for us, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. It's there in your bulletin. It says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Because you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. What does that say? It says you can know him. It says you can know him. And knowing him is, is unique. You know, you can't see him now. He says you believe in him and you love him and you know him. And in knowing him, you obtain something. And that is the goal of our faith. What is Easter about if it's not about the salvation of our souls? It's about eternal life. It's about resurrection life. It's about life beyond the death that conquers death. And so do you love Him, even though you don't see Him? Do you, do you believe in Him, even though you don't now see Him? Do you trust in Him? Have you tasted of that inexpressible joy that comes from knowing Christ? Because let me tell you, as Paul says, and I will testify myself, Jesus is someone worth knowing. Paul says that you know, whatever it might cost you, whatever it might uh, come as a, as a price for you to know this Christ, he says, you should pay it. And Paul says, whatever I had, whatever I counted of value, whether it was material or immaterial things, things that I had, whether in terms of wealth or reputation, whether I had religiously within the life of the church or re- reputation within the community, Paul says, whatever I had, I, I sacrifice it, I give it up, I count it as loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing this Christ, this Lord who reigns at the right hand and holds the keys, to know this Christ who has conquered death, 
whatever it might cost to make his acquaintance, it would be well worth it. There is nothing this world has to offer that can be compared to this offer that Christ makes to us. The surpassing worth of knowing him, of course not. If he is the king of heaven, if he is the Lord and the conqueror of death, if he reigns at the right hand of God Almighty, then the stuff of this life kind of loses, shrinks in perspective. It loses some value. It seems infinitesimal compared to the surpassing value of knowing the guy with the keys, of knowing the Lord who has walked this road and won. Everything else seems like rubbish. As Paul says, I count it as rubbish. I count it as trash compared to the value of this one. You know, they did a study. This is where your tax dollars go, right? And you you read about these things in places where, yeah, millions of dollars were pumped into this study that the government funded. and, And thousands of scientists from all over the world were gathered together to do this great study and so every great scientist of every nationality working together did this study and they came out with a conclusive finding that is irrefutable and it's this a hundred percent of people die it was worth every penny because it was something we need to understand and to know life ends in death And it's no wonder then that Paul would talk about giving up everything. Giving up everything for the sake of knowing this one. This Jesus. John 17, 3, it's there in your bulletin. This is eternal life. This is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is victory over the grave. This is what every soul longs for. This is the obtaining of the object of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Now, it's interesting in the text, Paul connects this whole thing of knowing Christ and and this victory, this power of his resurrection. He connects it to two important words, and I want to spend the rest of my time talking about them. He says, he connects it to this idea of gaining Christ and being found in Christ. Right in verses 8 and 9. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Right, That word to gain Him. And then in verse 9 he goes on, and to be found in Him. I want to gain Him and I want to be found in Him. Not, he says, having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that is by faith in Christ. A righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And so he says, I want to gain him. I want to find him in this being found in Christ, not having one kind of righteousness, but having another kind. And I want to just talk about those two, this idea of of this righteousness, because it's at the core of the victory that we have over death. Let me just define righteousness. It's crucial in this whole thing. To be righteous, it's a legal term. You know, you think of a law court, you think of a jury or a judge and somebody on the defense stand, and to be righteous, 
Another way to, to, to translate that word is to, is to translate it as justified. When you read justified somewhere and righteous somewhere else, it's, it's 99 or 100% of the time the same word being translated just differently. To be justified in the eyes of the court. And so if you have a courtroom setting and you've got a jury and you've got a judge and you've got somebody there who is righteous or justified, what does it mean? It means that in the eyes of the court, he's been found innocent. In the eyes of the court, he's not guilty. In the eyes of the court, he's okay. We can let him go. It's to be declared, to be righteous is to be declared right, innocent, justified in the eyes of the court, in the eyes of God. And so when Paul talks about righteousness here, what he's talking about is whatever we're trusting in before God, when we stand before his court, right? So what is our righteousness? What is our hope at being righteous on that day. You can trust in one or two things. Right? These righteousness is whatever you're trusting in before God when we stand before Him on that day in His law court. And there are two things we can trust in. There are two kinds of righteousness that Paul talks about. He says, There's a righteousness of my own, right? Verse 9, a righteousness of my own that comes through the law. And then there is that which comes through faith in Christ. Two kinds. The first kind of righteousness is my own, right? Verse 9. A righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Right? It comes from then our own attempts to do what's right. It comes from our own attempt to, to be right and to, to be good and to try hard before God and before His law. It's about self-effort. It's about living as best we can. And it's about trying in our own bootstraps and pulling ourselves up. There's this, our own righteousness that we try to pull together so that when I stand in that court on that day, I've got an argument to try to be justified. He says the problem with this form of righteousness, and Paul says he wants to be found not having this righteousness, right? Because the problem with this righteousness is it doesn't work, right? The problem with this righteousness is that we're not fully obedient to God's word. We're not fully obedient to God's law. You know, it, it, it doesn't work. We can't do it. And so there's two verses there under your third point in your bulletin. Galatians chapter 2 reads this. Paul says, by the works of the law, will no one be justified. Right? By the works of the law, no one will stand righteous on that day. No wonder he says, I want to be found not having a righteousness of my own, because he says clearly, by those works, no one is going to be justified. No one will be declared innocent before God because they did a good enough job, because they worked hard enough. Because the reality is we fall short. All of sin, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. And so Galatians 3, the next verse there, it says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Why would they be under a curse? Well, because they can't do it. If you're, stand, if, you're, if you're hoping to stand on that day with a righteousness of your own that comes from your own self-effort and your own goodness, he says you're under a curse because you will lose that battle. On that day in court, we will not stand. We will not be justified. He says, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And so Paul says, I don't want to be found having a righteousness of my own on that day. 
He says, but the good news, the gospel that, that Easter is all about and Good Friday is all about is that there's another righteousness. There's another way. There's another place to stand on that day before God. There is something else that we can wrap ourselves in. And Paul says it's a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And it's a righteousness that comes from God. And it depends on faith. It is, in fact, the righteousness of Christ himself. That he dies on Good Friday to bear that curse. That curse that it says anyone who relies on the works of the law is under a curse. And he says, for all of us under our own righteousness who are under a curse, he dies on Good Friday to bear in his own body the burden of that curse. And he rises in righteousness on Sunday morning, resurrection morning, into the power of a new life. And he does it. And the power of his own righteousness. Right? Jesus had a perfect righteousness. The Bible tells us he was tempted in every way like we are, but he was without sin. Pilate washes his hands as he turns him over to be crucified and said, I find no fault in this man. He washes his hands of the whole thing. That Jesus lives the life that we failed to live. That Jesus is the perfect man. He obeys God's law and he loves him with all of his heart and soul. And he lives the life and he attains that righteousness that we fail to muster up ourselves. And then he stands before God on the other side of death in the power of his own righteousness. And he is justified. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and is given the keys of death and hell. He wins. He conquers. He is the victor over sin, death, and hell. And he stands reigning and ruling from that place. And so the Christian message is this. We want to gain Christ in what he has done and what he has accomplished. And that's what Paul says. I want to gain him by faith. I want to put my hope and my trust in him so that what he has done would save me. We can gain Christ by faith. And then we can be found in His righteousness. Right? He says, I want to gain Christ and be found in Him on that day. Right? I want to be found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own, but I want to be found in Christ having a righteousness that is by faith. Now, think of righteousness as a robe. There are two kinds, right? Our own and Jesus's. And if you have your own righteousness, and what the Bible is telling us, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and even our righteousness is as filthy rags, and, and there's this problem that we have that our robe, our righteousness of our own, trying to do our best and keep the law, he says your robe is full of holes, it's tattered, it's dirty, it's filthy, it's disgusting. It's unacceptable. On that day to stand before the court, you will be seen for what it is. It's unacceptable. He says, but there's another robe. Imagine Christ who lived that life and he wears a robe that is whole and solid. It has no holes in it. It's clean, it's white, it's pure, it's righteous. And as he stands in that law court on that day, he is accepted, he is justified in his own righteousness. And what the gospel says, that by faith we can gain Christ and be found in his robe. In other words, by faith we exchange robes. 
He takes my robe of sin and he dies on the cross to destroy that robe and he takes his own robe off and he covers you in it so that on the day that we stand there, he says, if I have gained Christ by faith, I can be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but having the righteousness that is by faith, that is perfect, that will justify me, that will lead me into that life that Christ himself has won, eternal life. Righteousness, he says, by faith in Christ. You get Jesus' death, hell, and sin conquering righteousness. If you gain him by faith and put your trust in him. Right? And so we have this choice, and that's what this Paul is saying. I don't want to be found having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that is by faith in Christ. I want to gain him and be found in him. And you see there's this choice. Where are you going to put your hope? Where are you going to put your trust? Who are you going to give your love to? You can live for yourself and trust in your own righteousness, he says, and stand on that day and take your chances. He says, or you can live for Christ, put your faith in Christ, you can gain Christ, and you can be found in his righteousness on that day. The thing is, to gain his righteousness, we must forsake our own. To gain his life is a sense in which we must forsake our own. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must come after me. He must take up his cross daily and deny himself. and Take up his cross daily and follow me. There is a sense in which we must forsake our own righteousness. We don't want to be found over there. And it requires us to abandon trust in ourselves. To consider everything a loss that we might gain Christ through faith live for him, and find ourselves in his righteousness. John chapter 5, it's there in your bulletin, the last quote. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has this eternal life that we're talking about. Right? He says he does not come into judgment. He is passed from death to life. You see what he's offering you there? He says that the one here who, who hears his words words I'm telling you now, and believes in me, gains me by faith, does not come into judgment. He's already passed from death to life. How can that be? How is it that on that great day, he says, you, he says, you won't come into judgment. You've already passed from death to life. Because, why? Because you're already righteous. Right? You're already justified. How does that happen? Because Jesus has already borne the curse and the judgment on the cross. And if by faith you've gained Christ and clothed yourself in him, on the moment of your gaining Christ and gaining his righteousness, you've passed from death to life. Eternal life is a life that starts now and never ends. That we pass into his presence and we experience an ultimate resurrection into his eternal life. It's a life that begins now and never ends. Let me just close with an illustration that kind of pulls all of this together and this being found in Christ on that day. You know, the tale is told of prairie fires that would sweep across uh, the prairies of the Midwest. You know, the Midwest is our, you know, the breadbasket of the country. There are no mountains or no hills. It's just flat. I've traveled across the country, and you'll come out of differently, and then you drive down into Kansas and Oklahoma, and it's just far as the eye is, you can drive for days and see nothing but flat cornfields. And 
And, and, and there, when there are droughts, there are times things can get really dry. You hear the dust bowl and the part of the Great Depression. And tales are told of these fires. If, you, if the conditions are right and things are dry and a fire starts, like a forest fire would start in, a, in blaze for days, you know, you get them out in the plains too and a fire can start. If the conditions are right and the wind is whipping and there's nothing to impede that wind, it can just whip across the prairie. And if a fire starts, it can just literally the fire could almost run across the prairie, being driven by that wind, just consuming everything in its path. A tale is told of a farmer who comes out of his house one day and turns and goes out around the corner of his barn and sees a wall of flame rushing toward his house and his family. And he turns and he realizes, he sees it coming, he realizes the car's in the barn, it's shut up and his kids are playing over it, his wife's hanging stuff on the line, he realizes I'm not going to have time to get him in the car and go and he literally picks up the can of gas that's right there in his yard and he goes out and he starts throwing gasoline in a big circle on his yard until this big drenched area of gasoline, his family has stopped to watch, they've gathered on the side, he steps back and throws a match and it just goes up in a great conflagration of... That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Just then, as they hear the crackling of the barn going up and, and, and the fire sweeping over and the porch catches fire, he grabs his two children and his wife. They run into the center of that circle and they hunt her down. Just as the flames come across the yard, they hit that circle and it goes around it and it sweeps off across, burns his house to the ground and sweeps across the prairie. And what the gospel is telling us what this passage tells us is on that day, I want, to gain, I want to be found in Christ. That day, he says that we put faith in Christ and we gain him and his righteousness. We have passed from death unto life. Why? Because in Christ, the judgment of our sin has already fallen. Right? The punishment of sin has already fallen. And the safe place to be on that day is where the fire has already been. On the day of that law court, The safe place to be is in Christ, is to be at the cross. It's to be where God's judgment has already been answered. He says, the one who puts their faith in me will not come into judgment. He has already passed from death into life because he is in Christ and stands in his righteousness, in that safe place where the wrath of God has already been, where justice has already been meted, meted out and met. The time is coming when you will be found somewhere. There's a safe place to be found. A circle of safety that surrounds the foot of the cross. Where, where will you be found on that day? That's the, that's the question of Easter. That's the offering of this passage in all of the scripture in the New Testament. Let it not be in your own righteousness it comes from the law because it is under a curse and we can't do it. But will you gain Christ by faith? That's the question. Will you gain him by faith and be found in him wrapped in his robes on that day? Will you pass even this morning from death to life to never come into judgment because you will be found in Christ. Have you recognized the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord? Like, can you imagine? No wonder Paul would say, indeed, I've counted everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Having a righteousness not my own, but a righteousness that is by faith. That I would gain this Christ, this reigning, ruling, key-holding life 
life-giving, death-conquering Christ. I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection in my own life today and in the ages to come. Will you abandon trust in yourself? Will you give yourself to this living one? Gain him by faith so that you will be found in him on that great day. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we would indeed gain you. We would be found in you. We don't want a righteousness of our own. We would love to have yours. We would love to wear the robes of what you have accomplished for us in the cross, in your death, your sin-bearing, curse-bearing death, and in your resurrection, your death-conquering, life-giving resurrection, and your reigning and resurrected power as you sit in the heavenlies at the right hand of God. Would you, Father... We would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So we put our faith in Jesus. We abandon hope in ourselves. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for ever thinking we could stand in your holy presence on our own accord. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. Oh, would you give him to us by faith that we might be found in him, in him alone. For it's in his name we pray and ask. Amen.